We're going to do something Robert sometimes does, which is be my, have my prayer come from the psalm. Let us pray. Psalm 54. O God, save me by your name and vindicate me by your might. O God, hear my prayer and give ear to the words of my mouth. Strangers have risen up against me, but behold, God is my helper. The Lord is the upholder of my life. Come, Lord, by your word and spirit, and work in us that we might become more like Jesus, in whose name I pray, amen. And so the biggest theme of my sabbatical, which ended a little over a month ago, was without a doubt, Humility. And conversely, pride. Pride and humility. Not in our culture, where it's pride, that is, is rampant. Not in the church. Not so much this church. This church is so humble. Um, but, I, but, I, but I do mean, I do mean the bigger church and how much pride is rampant among those who call themselves by the name of Christ. But in me. Mainly on my silent retreat, which was a week long, um, but also through one of the courses I took, which was on the spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius, um, which is, if you read much in popular Christian literature, um, you will have noticed, even among non-Roman Catholics, the spiritual exercises and many of the much of the guidance of Saint Ignatius has been adopted by Protestants and Evangelicals. This is one of the themes of James and of our gospel today. In fact, the reading in James ended. Did you hear it? God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now, if you had asked me several months ago uh, where I thought I fell on a scale from pride to humility, I think I would have said, I'm not really prideful. And I'm also not really humble. I'm somewhere in between. But, but let me ask you, like, you don't have to answer. There's nothing to fill out. It's not an online poll. But where would you fall? Where do you think you would fall in that range? From humility to pride. Humility is perhaps the most elusive virtue, at least, to assess in yourself. I think it's actually possible to be prideful that you're humble. We come on delivery 
with the infection of pride, which we have inherited from our first parents. It is for good reason that it is listed as the first of the deadly sins. Uh, I, I read a lot of St. Ignatius over the summer, and I also read a fair amount of Teresa of Avila. Perhaps you've heard of her. Um, I had not. I had heard of her, you know, and had respect for her. She's a fifth, uh, 16th century, 1500s Carmelite nun who was uh, just very gifted in spiritual direction, very close to the Lord, very respected, and actually was the first woman ever to be named as a doctor of the church by the Roman Catholic Church. Um, she has a lot of good stuff. And, and one of the things, one section on humility, um, she warns, and I quote, where the devil can do great harm without our realizing it is in making us believe that we possess virtues which we do not. Just... Yes, it's uncomfortable. And then she says, it is pestilential. Wow, I don't think I've ever seen that word. But what she's saying in 21st century language is, to think you have virtues you don't have is like having a full-on case of coronavirus of the soul. It's very dangerous. It actually undermines the very virtue, she goes on to say. And secondly, negatively, that means you're not going to, like, work on it. And so that also undermines one's growth in Christ-likeness. I I loved how she ended this section. um, And she said, like, "What, what shall we do? This is a great temptation of the enemy. And she said, I think the best thing to do would be what our master teaches us to pray, to beseech the eternal father not to allow us to fall into temptation. I don't know about you, but when I pray the Lord's Prayer, I often will um, focus on a different line. You know, I'll, I'll pray it, but in my mind, I'm like, yes, Lord, I really need that today, or something like that. And honestly, since My sabbatical, I mean, I've been remembering that line in the Lord's Prayer every day. Like, Lord, help me. Deliver me from this temptation of pride because, and honestly, I don't know how much it's helping, but um, I am praying it. As a way to hopefully get some perspective on Pride and humility as James and Mark seem to present it this morning. I'd like to share a piece of one of the meditations of St. Ignatius of Loyola, and I beg your like forbearance with this. Some of the imagery is very medieval, um, and yes, it's a Roman Catholic guy, but there's some good stuff here. Uh, This is a meditation that comes from the spiritual exercises called the two standards. And by standards, he means banners, not like two rules. He means two banners lifted up by two different rulers. 
And, and, and he invites us to use our imagination to listen to what they're saying and listen to the mission that they have. And so the one is Lucifer. The light bearer is what that literally means, Satan. And he, he invites us. And, and actually, what's helpful with this is to keep Lord of the Rings in mind, honestly. That mythic imagery. And he says, consider the, the, the region around Babylon and Lucifer on a throne, horrible and terrible, and calling his innumerable demons to himself. And then, now I quote, Ignatius encourages the retreatant to consider the address he makes to them, how he goads them on to lay snares for people and to bind them with chains, and here's how to do it. First, they are to tempt them to covet riches, as Satan himself is accustomed to do in most cases. Tempt them to covet riches that they may more easily attain the empty honors of this world. And then come to overweening pride. And then, so he summarizes, the first step then will be riches, the second honor, the third pride. From these three steps, the evil one leads to all other vices. Hence, pride is the first of the seven deadly sins. In a similar way, he writes, consider, think in your mind, in your imagination, the region around Jerusalem and Christ the King sitting on his throne in beauty, in humility. And he says, consider the address which Christ our Lord makes to all his servants and friends whom he sends on this enterprise, recommending them to seek to help everyone first by attracting them to the highest spiritual poverty. And should it please the divine majesty, God, and should God deign to choose them for it, even to attract them to actual poverty. Actually, I'm still on number one. Secondly, they should lead them. Now, just hold this very lightly, what I'm about to say. I just, I'm warning you. It's, I'm still not completely settled with it. But there's something of the gospel here. Secondly, they should lead them to a desire for insults and contempt. For from these springs humility. So he summarizes. Hence, there will be three steps. The first, poverty as opposed to riches. The second, insults or contempt as opposed to the honor of this world. And third, humility as opposed to pride. From these three steps, let them lead people to all other virtues. Now let me be clear. He's teaching people how to become like Jesus. Being conformed to the image of Christ. So did you hear the three steps on the 
the two standards, the two banners. Riches, uh, honor, pride. Poverty or spiritual poverty. Insults, humility. Let me unpack a couple of those, not all of them, but a couple of them. My spiritual director and the person who led the class on the exercises pointed out that when, so riches, and I'm tying riches in with James. Did you hear the reading from James? Did you hear how he set up the quote from Proverbs, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble? Did you hear that? He was talking about covetousness. He was talking about the pleasures of this world, wanting them, needing them, desiring them. Riches, yes. Stuff. But also, what that also means are all the things we treasure beyond money and wealth and stuff. The things we treasure, the things we value, the things we think we have to have to have a secure, meaningful place in the world. That might be being right. It might mean never losing an argument. It might be being on the right side or fill in the blank. So, riches versus spiritual poverty which, of course, is the very first of the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who have no other resource fundamentally than God. And he points out that riches lead to this sort of false place of honor. Both perspective by the world, but also within your own self. So maybe you don't have riches compared to some other people, monetarily, but you may have the kind of treasures that Ignatius is pointing to, in which you feel a sense of honor and pride. The second one I want to, is this, is now going to the the Jesus side, and it's this thing about insults. And this is what, this is where I really am still like reverberating. with God, or, or God's still on my case about sort of this area. And, and, and what does it mean? I, granted, I, I'm, I'm going to share some things, and this is, this is something you have to work out, uh, what it means for you. And you might need to work it out with a close Christian friend, or with a priest, or a pastor, or with a Christian therapist. But what Ignatius is getting at is the posture of our hearts. 
And what is our position when we feel insulted or criticized? And I'll be honest, that's a real struggle for me. I mean, I buck up immediately. I get prideful immediately. Some of it's, I'm sure, some of it's family of origin stuff. Some of it's being a type one on the the, uh, genogram, fill in the blank. You know, you can do your own pathology of Mark. But um, God cares about our hearts. And to be honest, some of this, some of what God has been working with me about is um, most of you would never know that I'm holding a prideful dialogue in my heart and mind. Some of you know. Brooke knows when that's happening. Robert knows when that's happening because they've learned to read my face. But I had to come to acknowledge this, this pride the, the, the conversations I was allowing to take place within me. And how I was resistant to being like Jesus. Now, insults, criticism can be justified or unjustified. Certainly, uh, well, I, I mean, I'm resistant to all of them, okay? Okay. Um, But we certainly, I mean, if we want to be like Jesus and someone has a correction, we should welcome that. But if Christ lives in us and our aim is to be like him, to be formed into his image, what Ignatius has a hold of is there's there's something else in the Beatitudes that teaches us about Christ's likeness, which says, blessed are you when others revile you or persecute you or speak all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad. Really? Rejoice and be glad? How about like, bear it and don't attack back. That's kind of been my perspective, you know. So there's, this is big. You know, and this kind of thing can be, some of us in this room may be being triggered right now by this idea of like welcome insults. I get that. I was struck by another line from St. Teresa with regard to this whole humility thing, and she wrote, Humility, however deep it be, neither disquiets nor troubles nor disturbs the soul. It is accompanied by, humility is accompanied by peace, joy, and tranquility. So if I'm bucking up, If I'm getting all anxious and threatened and insecure, I need to ask myself, where's the humility of Christ here? Okay. Let me close with the gospel. 
which begins by Jesus giving one description of his humility. He said, right, the Son of Man is going to be, let me quote it correctly here, delivered into the hands of men and they will kill him. According to St. Paul, Philippians 2, that's a description of Jesus' humility. And after, after they kill him, he will rise from the dead. And his followers didn't understand and they were afraid. They didn't understand and they were afraid. And Jesus says, what were you discussing on the way? Jesus is so gentle and kind. For they were arguing about who was the greatest. Fear led to this posturing about who is the greatest. And I would suggest that every argument, in one way or another, has to do with who's the greatest, who's right, who's going to come out on top. And Jesus takes a child puts the child in the midst. And just, I was wondering what that scene might have been like. Here are the disciples. I mean, if they're like me, like their adrenaline, their heart's beating a little bit faster. Their adrenaline's going. They're trying to think of what can I say to, to, to be seen as the one that's going to be the greatest of us 12. And then there's, what, a three, four, five, six-year-old. Jesus just puts in the midst, it says. I almost went right over it, that he took the child and said something, but he put the child in their midst. And I imagine them looking, looking at him like, here's a powerless, uninfluential, can't help me get money, can't help me get prestige. Look at this beautiful little kid. Then Jesus takes the child and says, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives the one who sent me, receives God. There's something super profound here. Something profound about humility as well. Because humility is about, in part, Receiving someone else. Someone who you probably don't think is helpful to you at the moment. Now normally I think this would mean who, if you receive one in my name, the idea is that I have sent them. And that might be the case here, but we're talking about a child, like a five-year-old. And I think what Jesus is meaning is, if you receive this child as if you would receive me. Like, you, I receive you in the name of Jesus, little child. Therefore, I'm going to treat you like I would treat Jesus. I'm going to treat you like Jesus would treat you. 
as precious of infinite value, worthy of honor. I'm going to receive you with hospitality and grace and generosity. In other words, I'll treat you like I would treat Jesus. Not, I'm not going to demand that you treat me as if I was Jesus. I don't know. Something, something, there's something there about receiving. And Jesus says that's where God is. That kind of attitude, that kind of heart is where God is. So the disciples didn't know it as we do that for us and for our salvation. And as our teacher, our model, and our healer, the eternal son emptied himself of riches and honor. That's the story. And became last of all. That Jesus chose and welcomed insults and contempt and rejection. And that he chose to stretch out his arms on the cross as a beautiful sign of receiving all those in need, all those who are helpless. And to bear the sin and the death that actually was laying upon us. And the spirit of this humble living Savior King is here. And if you've received him as Savior and Lord, he dwells within you. And he wills, with your participation and mine, to conform us to his image in the beauty of humility and holiness. My hope and my prayer for my sabbatical, perhaps you remember, was that I would grow as a safe and wise and aging priest. I didn't get it for a month or a month and a half that that's exactly what God was doing. Thanks be to God. Amen.